The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Hey, uh, welcome. Welcome to the end of night. We're excited uh, that you chose to spend your Tuesday night out here. Uh, my name is Mike McAvoy, and I'm on staff here with the Inn. Uh, my job is the student leadership coordinator, which means basically I get the privilege of working with about 70 student leaders that we have in this ministry uh, that help out and run just about everything we do around here. When you see mission trips, when you see the opportunity to go on deputation this summer, student leaders are running those things. Uh, when you see freshman group, when you see sophomore group, man up, all these things, uh, student leaders are owning, owning these things. And so my job, I get the privilege of just working with a bunch of students that have a vision uh, for doing some cool things on this campus. Um, and and it's, uh, it's a, I just feel fortunate to be able to, to work with them, and that's kind of what I do around here. So if this year kind of goes along and, and you're feeling, man, next year I'd love to do something kind of more involved with leadership here, I'm the guy to talk to about that. Um, man, these lights are bright up here. Uh, a little bit about me. I graduated from the University of Washington uh, two and a half years ago uh, with a degree in construction management. Uh, and then I decided that as soon as I finished here, I was going to head down to Tuscaloosa, Alabama uh, to work in college ministry uh, down there with Young Life. And that's actually why I'm excited that we have Young Life here tonight and the opportunity to sign up uh, to be a Young Life leader because I really, really enjoyed my time with, with uh, working with them. And there's some really cool things uh, that Young Life does. So uh, if you're interested in being a leader for high school students, uh, middle school students, it's a cool opportunity. Um, Let's see. Uh, I got to speak about a month ago here, and then when I was here, I shared a couple stories about Alabama. Uh, and, and since then, a lot of people have asked me, what is life really like down there? Is it really that much different? And to be honest, it's not that much different. But I thought it was going to be just, just totally different. I had this picture in my head before I went down there of just about the most redneck place in the world. And, and this is, yeah, that's pretty much what I pictured. I mean... When they told me I was going down to Alabama, I was thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in a trailer, and then I'll have to wear cut-off shirts all the time, and I'll have to grow my hair really long into a mullet. And everything that was stereotypical about Alabama, I felt that, that I was going to live that way. And, and to be honest, there's some kind of backcountry stuff down there, but, but in the college city of Tuscaloosa I lived in, it really wasn't as much real hick southern country as I was hoping for. Uh, but, but every once in a while, yeah, my house is actually the second one up the ladder. Um, every once in a while, something would happen down there that would totally remind me that I was really in Alabama though. And it didn't happen a lot, but, but one of my favorite times down there was a couple months ago, a couple months uh, before I moved back up here, I was listening to the radio and this lady called in, uh, on the radio station cause they were talking about how deer were overpopulated in Alabama and yeah, and there was this one spot near my house uh, where they had one of those caution deer crossing signs, and there had been 17 deer that had been hit like near this sign uh, in the last year. And so they were calling in like, what are we going to do about it? And this lady calls in, and in about the most southern voice, I'll do my best impression, uh, she goes, it seems pretty simple to me. What we need to do is, is someone needs to take that sign down. She goes, I just don't think it's safe for all them deer to be crossing there. And uh, 
<laughs> and 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 she goes, I think we need to put that sign up somewhere else. And and I just, I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, the people, the people on the radio gave her a pretty hard time, and, and I was laughing along too. And uh, I was like, yes, I'm in Alabama. This is this is this is home for me. Um, but but the truth is, I really enjoyed it down there, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Uh, but it also it's good to be back up here as well, uh, and I'm excited to get a chance to to share a message uh, with y'all tonight. So um, let me pray for us as we get started here. Um, God, I just I just thank you for this opportunity, uh, just to share your word tonight, Lord. Just uh, work through uh, my words tonight, God. Just be powerful uh, and show up here in a big way, God. I uh, just thank you uh, for this time we have here. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, okay, uh, for those of you that have been here, uh, this is week four in the quarter, and we've been going through a series through the book of Mark, looking at this idea kind of of what did Jesus do? That's been kind of the big, um, the big thing, the question we've been asking uh, going through this book. And for those of you that were here a couple weeks ago, uh, yeah, what did Jesus do? Um, a couple weeks ago, Ryan Church talked a little bit about the calling of some of the disciples. And that kind of takes us to the place that we find ourselves in Scripture today, which is going to be in Mark uh, chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 17 tonight. And we looked at verse 13 to 14 a couple weeks ago, and we're going to use those kind of to set up the rest of the text here tonight. So uh, with the voice of the inn, please give us the word. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Thank you. <coughs> um, excuse me. Um... Okay, so uh, in the first couple verses here, what we see is that Levi's a tax collector. Okay, and for those that don't know, tax collectors were the lowest of low of all society. I mean, these people were, were just about the most low-class people you can imagine. You know, they had set up booths on the side of these major highways, and everybody that came through was taxed. And you never really knew how much you were going to be taxed. And the tax collectors took a commission off everything they pulled in, so they were just jacking up the prices that people had to pay so that they could take a little more off the top every time, just pulling it in for themselves. I basically equate it to today, uh, if we found out that gas costed 50 cents a gallon, and, but, but all the people that worked at gas stations had made this decision to sell gas at whatever it is right now, 350 a gallon, just to make about three bucks on us. And there's nothing you can do about it because, you know, I haven't figured out how to use water in my tank yet to make it run. Um, and, and so we just had to pay that, you know, and there was nothing we could do. And every time you went to fill up, you just, you just hate the people that, you know, were working at the gas station pretty much laughing at you every time you paid so much. You know, tax collectors were viewed the same way. Tax collectors were hated by everyone. They were disowned by their family. They had no friends. They were, they were about as low class as you could possibly get. And in fact, in our world today, I can only picture one group of people that could possibly even compare with tax collectors. Okay, fine, maybe two. Um, but, uh, but, but this is how tax collectors were viewed. 
Okay, and Levi was one of these guys. He had sold his soul. He had sold out everything. He had lost respect. He had lost his family. He had lost friends, everything. I picture a guy with all the money in the world here, but with nothing else. Nothing. That's what I picture when I see Levi. Okay, and Jesus comes along and he he comes up to Levi and yet he knows he's low class like this, but he still calls Levi to follow him. And I think that's really cool. I think it gives us a cool picture of Jesus because he calls us where we're at. We don't have to be perfect to be used by Jesus. Okay, and Levi gets called and he immediately gets up and, and he follows Jesus. Okay, and, and next what comes along, I want to reread uh, verses 15 and 16 if we can do that back there. Voice. Well, Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, now when you picture this meal, okay, when you picture Jesus coming in and eating with these guys, I want you to think of a big, big dinner. I'm thinking more like a banquet than just a couple guys sitting around a little table. Okay, I mean, you had you had Jesus, you have his disciples there, you have Levi and all the other tax collectors, because that's the only people he'd hang out with. And then you have the Pharisees who, who somehow found their way in this and are, you know, giving, giving everybody a hard time. But you have a lot of people in here. And when we look at what Jesus did, we see him come and eat with a lot of people. And I like this. I like this about Jesus, because I'm a man who likes to eat as well. Okay, I do. I, I love to eat. In fact, one of the big challenges I've given myself is that this year, I would like to eat at every restaurant on the Ave. And I know this is, this. oh, there you go. Um, I even, I, I started going to these different restaurants, all kinds of crazy places. And for those of you that have been down there, you know there are a lot of restaurants down there. And so I came back and I started giving a little bit of a review on this. And one of our interns, the guy who did announcements tonight, Tom, he just started writing up a, a blog on it. I don't really know exactly what a blog was, but... Um, it, uh, it basically it talks about all the restaurants I've eaten at. So if you get bored and you want to see some of the best and worst restaurants on the Ave, or maybe you just want to know where to go for lunch tomorrow, feel free to come check it out. Uh, now, I know what you're thinking right now, and you're probably asking, what qualifies you, Mike, to be a food critic? And I'm very glad you asked that question. You see that burger, okay? Oh, hey, go back one. Go back one. That's gross. No, no, no. Back, back. Uh, there we go. There you go. Okay, that burger is a burger called the Mugshot, which is at a restaurant called Mugshots in Alabama. And, and that burger is one that has three half-pound patties. It has four buns, 12 strips of bacon, uh, six pieces of cheese, and the whole thing is covered with a plate of fries and an onion ring. See, they had to use two chopsticks to hold it together. Now, the burger itself is 25 bucks. But if you can eat the entire thing in under 12 minutes, not only is it free... But you also get a T-shirt as well. Um, if you want to know what the T-shirt looks like, uh, this is it. Okay, this says I ate the mugshot, and it's probably my proudest uh, moment in life right here. This is actually a very realistic picture of the burger here. So um, thank you for showing that off. Uh, and, uh, and we can actually flip forward to that really gross-looking picture. Okay, as you can see, the sweat starting to build up. This was right in the middle of burger eating. One thing I want to point out real quick is that glass of uh, what's well, actually water in front of me. Uh, okay, well, I looked at this, and the professional eaters all dip the buns in water, you know, to make it easier to eat. So that's what I had done, but there was so much mayonnaise and mustard that it got all in the water. 
Now, before, before you get grossed out, because it's really not that bad, um, there were about 40 people that were there watching during this, because all this crowd came along as I was eating. So I decided, just for kicks, when I finished the meal, I went ahead and drank that glass of water. That is correct. Um, that is that is not a lie. Anyways, that's just one of the many eating feats. I've also won an eating contest at Qdoba. Uh, that is the prize pack I won, because I ate a burrito in 39 seconds. Um, and... Uh, I know, they said it must be some kind of record. And and then I also ate seven plates of pasta at the Olive Garden on all-you-can-eat pasta night, which is another feat of mine. But, but yeah, I like to eat, so I think I'm qualified to write food reviews. That's it. Um, I don't know where that story was going, that kind of, yeah. Anyway, um, that all to say that I like meals. And I don't just like meals because I love eating, but I like meals because I think they give us a chance to eat with people. And they give us a chance to talk over food. And I find that I have some of my best conversations over meals, once I've finished my food, usually. But um, it's, why, it's why I like eating together. You know, I, um, I feel very fortunate to grow up in a house where my parents made kind of family dinner uh, a priority because I like that. It was one of the times where we were able to kind of connect as a family throughout the week. Um, now, I live with six other guys, and I love the guys I live with. Uh, great guys, but everybody's busy. Everybody has a life. Everyone has a job. Everyone's off doing and everything. Uh, but Monday nights at 7.30, we always have house dinner every week. And I love this time. There are the guys I live with right there. In fact, one of these guys, he got married about two weeks ago, and he's come back to both the last house dinners because he likes it so much. Um, I would have been on my honeymoon, personally. Um, but uh, there's the guys I live with. And, and Mondays, I love Monday nights at my house because it's a chance for all the roommates to come back and connect uh, and just talk over a meal. And, and I think that's, that's a big deal. Um, because it kind of, it brings us together. And that's, you can take that down. And that's just what Jesus is doing here. That's the message he's sending to these guys by coming and eating with them. Okay, that he wants to go share a giant meal with all these tax collectors, these sinners, these thieves, essentially. Is he saying, man, I want, I want to come share a meal with you guys. And back in the day, sharing a big banquet meal like this that Jesus was doing with these guys, was actually like saying, I consider you family. I consider you as close as my closest friends. And that's the message that Jesus is trying to send to these guys, saying, I consider you my family. That's what he's saying. And this fires up the Pharisees, as we see. Because the Pharisees were these people that basically tried to separate everybody into two groups of people. Either you were worthy or you weren't. Either you were righteous or you were a sinner. And they're asking these questions to Jesus. What are you doing eating with these sinners when you should just be hanging with all of us that are that are righteous that have worth now the irony in this whole situation is is that we're all sinners you know we're all in the same thing there's you know uh, the pharisees are the only ones that think of themselves higher but but the truth is there are no place to point everyone you know point anyone else out because we're all in that place but as we look at what jesus did he didn't separate himself from sinners okay in fact he did just the opposite Jesus wanted to spend quality meal time with them because they were the ones that understood their need for him. And he wanted to hang with people that, that understood that need for him. And the tax collectors did because they knew they were sinners. And they knew they needed him. And it's the exact opposite of the Pharisees that thought that somehow they had already punched their ticket into heaven. And that they were, you know, they were, they were too good for the situation. But, but Jesus is excited about hanging out with these guys. And, and I think... As Christians, if, if you've made that decision, are ready to follow Jesus with your life, that we should be out among people the same way. 
You know, I love it when Christians are out living in fraternities and sororities, out living in the dorms, out living life in, in tough places around a bunch of people that don't know Jesus. Because those are the people that need to hear about who Jesus is. And Jesus never was insulated from the world, and, and you know, and I don't think we should be either. Okay. Um, Jesus was excited about having dinner with these guys. And I want you to know that the table that Jesus sits at and invites us into is one where he wants to hear our story and get to know us. And it doesn't matter what level of sin we're on. It doesn't matter if we're drug users or thieves or cheaters or drink too much or sleep with our girlfriend or anything else. Okay, It doesn't matter what we've done to get to the place of sin we're at because we're all there. Now, we've all sinned. None of us deserve a seat at this table with Jesus. Okay, But we're invited because he has come down and said, I think of you as my closest friends. And this table that... We sit at that we see Jesus invite us into is one that's set for many. It's set for anyone who, who says, you know, I understand my need for Jesus in life. And I know I can't heal myself. I know I can't do this on my own. And what I love about this story is I love looking at what Jesus says next in verse 17 after being questioned by the Pharisees. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay. And this is the focus verse. Leave this up here for a couple minutes because I want to I want to focus on this verse as we look at this. And I want to focus on what is this relationship between a doctor and a patient? And how does that possibly look like our relationship with Jesus? Well, the first thing I want to do is look at what a doctor does. Who is a doctor? Okay, a doctor is someone that, that heals us. A doctor is someone that we go to when we're sick. And usually there's someone that has an office. You know, usually you don't find doctors... Just out on the street going up to people, hey, you know, you look sick, can I help you out? Usually you have to come to understand that you need a doctor and then go find one. And doctors make themselves available so that when you get to that point, that, that you know, you can go see them and hopefully be healed. Um, and I, uh, I think it's pretty, pretty similar uh, with Jesus. Okay, he came to save us and heal us. Uh, and we have to just realize our need for him. Okay, we have to want to go to him. And I think that's the big difference between the Pharisees and with Levi's gang. Is that, the, is that Levi and his you know, other tax collectors had realized that they needed Jesus in their life, and that's why they're here. Okay, but the Pharisees don't realize that at all. You know, what we, don't, what we see with the Pharisees is that they're out there dying and don't realize that they, they even need a doctor. And I, and I want to look at three reasons tonight why I don't think that we go to a doctor even when we are sick. And I think that's the first one is when we are sick and we do need a doctor, we don't go because maybe we don't realize it. Oh, there we go. Um, the first reason we don't go uh, to doctors, we don't, realize, yeah, we don't realize our need for help. We don't realize that we need them. Okay, and the second reason we don't go to a doctor um, is because we don't think the doctor can actually heal us. For instance, I lose, you know, I lose a limb, I, you know, I break my arm, I do something really big, I'm going to a doctor because I know I need them. But when I get a cold, when I just get kind of sick, one, I don't go to a doctor. Two, I don't take any sort of pills or medicine because I don't believe they actually work. Now, they may for you, but for me, I don't think that medicine just helps me get over a cough. And so I'm not motivated to take it all. Um, but I think that um, we need to believe that a doctor can heal us for us to go to him. And the third thing, uh, the third reason I don't think we go to a doctor is even when we are sick and even when we believe believe that he can heal us is that we don't want to hear the bad news 
we don't want to realize just how sick we are because at that point we know that we got to do something about it. You know, that we got to start working hard. We got to start going to, to rehab. We got to start, you know, coming back for regular checkups. Something's going to happen that's going to kind of change our lives a little bit and we don't actually want to put in that work. Okay. And that's, that's the third reason why we don't go to a doctor. And, and I think that's very similar to a reason that Sometimes we don't come to Jesus when we when we understand that we need him uh, What we want is a quick fix in life What we want is to come once and have the doctor heal all our problems and it to be done But the whole thing with this relationship with Jesus is that it's a process It's a process. It's not just an overnight fix And we got to We got to walk through it We got to be willing to, to take some steps in that direction toward Jesus to be healed because following Jesus with our lives is not an easy thing. Sometimes it means not doing some things that we may that may seem great at the time. And sometimes it means having to work a little bit. And in order for us to do that, in order for us to put in the work in life, we have to believe two things. We have to believe two things about Jesus. And these things are, one, we have to believe that he can make us whole. Okay, And we have to believe that it's worth it. We have to believe that a life following Jesus is worth the hard work. Now, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have life to the full. That's what he offers. Life to the full. A whole, complete life in Jesus. And I think sometimes we don't even know what a whole, complete life looks like. Because we're so used to living life the way we do, kind of, you know, at 50, 60 percent, whatever that is, that we don't even know what it's like to be whole. We don't even know what it's like to be filled up. With Jesus. And so we go around and we act like everything's fine, but inside we're dying. And then that's tough. Because when we're sick, we don't necessarily see Jesus and we, we don't necessarily see all the good things about him. It's tough for us to see things we like in him. Okay, but the truth is that when we are at our sickest, Jesus still sees us at our best. Okay, when Jesus sees Levi, he doesn't see all the terrible things about him. Okay, he doesn't view him for all his problems or the ways he's let him down or the sin in his life. He doesn't view him the same way the Pharisees do or the way that we probably would, that he's just some thief and some sinner that we don't want to hang out with. When Jesus sees Levi, he sees all the things that he has created him to be. He sees a guy who gets up and follows him and is later renamed Matthew. Levi becomes Matthew, a guy who writes the first account of the life of Jesus. He becomes a close disciple of Jesus. When Jesus sees Levi, he sees all the very best things in him. And I believe that when Jesus looks at us, he sees the best in us too. I absolutely think that when he sees us, he sees the best things in us and the ways that we can be used and not the ways that we have ever let him down. But he sees us for who we can be. He's a doctor to us because he believes that we are worth saving. And because he cares about us and wants to see us whole. I got to do something really cool last Saturday night. Last Saturday night, I got to go to uh, a big dinner uh, where the, the kids that came here from Malawi tonight were there. And they danced and, and they did some of the things tonight, but they also shared a little bit about their story. And I loved it. It was, it was one of the most touching things. And there's something that I haven't been able to stop thinking about since Saturday night. And I would love to share with you what it is tonight. But I'm not going to do that. Um, instead, I'm going to invite Jonathan up 
because I think that it, it's this meaningful. So would you please give a big in welcome to Jonathan? What's up, bro? How you doing? Can you can you say hi to everybody? Hi, everyone. All right. Um, hey, Jonathan, you don't mind if I ask you a couple questions, do you? Yeah. Okay. I'll take that as a as an okay thing. Um, first of all, why don't you tell why don't you tell the audience how old you are? Uh, I'm 14 years old. Okay. And uh, and what what do you like studying in school right now, Jonathan? Uh, I like English, mathematics, and physical sciences. Nice, nice. And and when you grow up, Jonathan, what do you what do you want to do? Okay. When I grow up, uh, I want to be a doctor. Okay. And and why is it why is it that you want to be a doctor when you grow up? Uh, I want to be a doctor simply because in my country where I am from I'm from Malawi and the many people in my country are dying they are dying because there is there is a shortage of medical care so I want to help in that. Nice. Yeah. All right, thanks for sharing, man. Give me some scam. <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks. Hey, I think that's great. Uh, I think it's great that, that he wants to be a doctor when he grows up. And that's the thing is that he absolutely can. And, and Children of the Nations has given kids an awesome opportunity for a hope and a future over in countries like Malawi. And it's a really cool thing that they've been doing for kids like Jonathan. But what I can't stop thinking about, about what he said, is why he wants to be a doctor. Because he wants to help his people. He sees his own people hurting. And he sees what he can do about it. And he wants to be there to help heal them when they need him. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of heaven. I, I think it's a beautiful picture. Because that's just what Jesus does. Jesus cares so much about us that, that he wants to heal us. Because he believes that we're worth healing from our sickness. That's the same thing that, that, that Jonathan thinks that he cares about his people. And Jesus, he died on a cross for us because he believes that we're worth saving. When we go to the doctor and when we say, I need you, and when we put ourselves in a place to receive grace in life, okay, we start to let him in. We allow ourselves to live. We allow ourselves to experience life to the full. That's what Jesus offers. A life to the full. So what? So what? We're thinking out here. I, I get it. What if you're thinking, I get it, Mike. I understand. I, I want that in my life, but where the heck do I go from here? What's the next step for me? And uh, and I would love to, to give you a real concrete answer to that because I love giving real answers. And I hate just being vague with things. But, but there's no one quick fix solution to how to start being filled up. Because, because I don't know exactly what we're going through. It's a process. It's tough, but there are a lot of things. Who knows what's going on in your life? You know, but maybe this whole thing with Jesus, you've been trying to live by yourself this whole time. And you've been out there trying to do this on your own, but Jesus never created us to be out there on our own. He created us to be in a community. He sent his disciples out two by two. He was always hanging around his disciples, always around people. 
Or maybe you need real people in your life that, that you can actually talk to about real things. You can start being vulnerable. You can start being honest about who you really are because maybe you haven't been honest about who you are to anybody your whole life. Maybe it's hurting enough inside to go, man, I just, I want somebody to really, really know me. You know, maybe, you know, all you can think about sometimes is yourself. Maybe you're so worried with how you're doing in school and how you look all the time and, and how much money you're making and do I have enough friends and do people like me and all you can see is yourself that we can't even see where Jesus is at because we, we have this picture of ourself in front of us. You know, maybe it's time to, to, to step out of your comfort zone a little bit, to sign up for a mission trip, to, to serve in your local community to start thinking about some other people. Start thinking about serving others instead of yourself. I don't know. It's different for all of us. But the question isn't what is the first step, but what is the first step for you? Because it is different. But I'll tell you this. Just like a good doctor knows his patients, knows their syndrome, and knows what he can do to help them individually, we have a God that knows us individually knows exactly what's going on in us we have a god that wants to know each of us so intimately and has something designed specifically for us we have a jesus that sits down at the dinner table with us and wants to eat with us over a big meal because that's how intimate of a setting it is okay i want to close with this thought we're all about receiving great gifts in life Right? I mean, don't you love receiving a great gift? Don't you love waking up on Christmas morning and opening something that someone has thought about? They put time into. They've planned out and they've they've designed that gift specifically for you. I love that. Someone put that much effort in just for you. Okay, the greatest gift that we can receive is being offered to us. And when we let Jesus into the tough places of our life, and let him make us whole through and through. We receive a gift of grace and of healing that is designed specifically for you. And I know this. I know one thing tonight. Is that this grace that God offers us is so much bigger than anybody in this room. There is nobody in here tonight that is outside of that grace. My question is, are, are you going to be courageous enough to start letting Jesus work in your life and start letting that healing begin. Let me pray for us. God, I just uh, I, I uh, thank you for the way that you have just begun uh, to work in my own life, God, and, and the way that there are so many more things to go through. God, I just I pray you continue uh, to show up in a big way, God, and I know you will. Uh, but I pray for us tonight that we just uh, would come to understand uh, that you are. The, the ultimate doctor and the ultimate healer and, and just how much you care about us and how much you want to see us uh, live in life to the whole. Lord, um, we just thank you tonight. In your name we pray. Amen.